What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. As always, I am your host, Justin Russo, and joining me tonight on this recap pod for the final for the final seven games of the season for the Los Angeles Clippers is none other than Forbes Sports Shane Young. Shane, what the hell's going on, man? How you doing? It's been like a couple of weeks since I last had you on. You're still alive, obviously. How's life going? I'm barely holding on, man. Barely alive here. Um, the fact that it's May 19th, I don't understand how it's already that up to that point. I don't understand how we went through 72 games. Explain that to me. I don't know. Uh, they basically just like threw their hands in the air and went, please, God, let this happen. And it happened. I don't I, I got nothing. I got nothing. I th- this entire season has felt like on a whim and a prayer. Like everyone oh, was just yeah. like, oh, God, I hope it works. And it worked kind of. I mean, it didn't always work. I mean, look at the Washington Wizards with their covid outbreak. And, you know, Memphis Grizzlies had theirs. Spurs had theirs. Every team except three had a game postponed due to covid health and safety protocols this season. The Clippers were one of them. The Lakers were another. And the Brooklyn Nets were the other one. Like it, it's honestly baffling to me. The regular mm-hmm. season's over. I have not had a time to breathe. And now that I have time to breathe, <laughs> I kind of don't want to see basketball for like four weeks. Oh, you're telling me you're not looking forward to October uh, opening night already? No, no, <laughs> no. They they need to push that to November. So my big thing is they should like whenever this season ends, they should push the start to November and then like start yeah. moving things up by a month. Yeah, permanently <laughs> or... Well, just just to get back on like quote unquote track. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, I mean, what is the summer leagues rumored like to, to actually happen this year? There, there's no way. I I don't know if that would be logistically possible, but okay. <laughs> oh, buddy, we're the United States of America. We'll just make it possible. <laughs> COVID doesn't exist. Come on. You know, it is what yeah, it is. It, the, the NBA acted like COVID didn't exist for the entire season. Why, exactly. So why should anybody? I'll say one thing. I know this is a Clippers podcast, but if there's one team that is genuinely like happy and thrilled and doing jumping jacks that the season's over, it's the Tampa Bay Raptors. So they can get the hell out of there and go back home. Oh, my God. Praise be to that team for somehow getting through the season in a city that isn't their own. And God forbid that city was in Florida. <laughs> you know, just it's just the way you, it's how it, they have not seen their home arena in like two years now. Well, it's over dep- two years. It's depressing. Yeah. It's depressing whenever you get interviews, exit interviews from Pascal and Kyle Lowry saying the worst part of the entire experience was getting booed at home. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I, well, quote unquote home. Yeah. It's, it's Tampa, you know, so. Although, did you hear that the NBA is looking possibly at expanding to recoup some of their uh, losses? I would pleasantly welcome Las Vegas. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever said the phrase, boy, I don't want to go to Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Seattle, like a, does, I, I, I Seattle just, deserves I, it. but Yeah, I should have just pulled like a reverse joke him Noah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like no one's ever said, I'm going to go to I'm going to go on vacation. I'll go to oh, Vegas. Where is Joe Kim? Is he just I, oh, living I, I his best life? Him. Well, I still follow him on Instagram. He's still living the greatest life ever lived. See, him and Randy Johnson. Have you seen the Randy Johnson stuff? Dude, I haven't seen Randy Johnson in about 10 years. If you ever get the chance, you don't have to do it right now. If you ever get the chance, go look up what Randy Johnson does now. It'll blow okay. your mind. It'll I, blow yeah, your damn don't, mind. Yeah, don't tell me. I want to be surprised. Yeah, okay. it's he, he has lived one of the greatest <laughs> post-playing career lives in the history of professional sports. That's all I mean, I'm going to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, last we've, we've went so far off the rails already, but I, I will care. say I, I am not that big of a baseball fan, but Hey, for my money, he's the best pitcher I've ever seen. 
in my life. Do you think people actually listen to this? No, absolutely not. Okay, yeah, no one listens. I mean, we could talk about whatever. Randy Johnson obliterated a bird. Yes. And that's like the second coolest thing he's done. What's like first? His, his post-playing career life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you see it, you're like, this is the coolest guy to ever live. Um, but anyways, this is the recap pod for the final seven games of the regular season. I understand we skipped a week, so we're going to have to cover several games. We're not going to cover all of them. We're going to touch basis on a couple of them. For instance, the Clippers went four and three during these seven games. They beat the Toronto Raptors. They beat the Los Angeles Lakers. They lost to the New York Knicks in their uh, regular season home finale. They then beat the Toronto Raptors on the road, Hornets on the road, and then lost to the Rockets and the Thunder to finish things up. We understand that there's a lot to talk about. We will try to get into as much as possible. Some stuff isn't going to be talked about just because, honestly, who gives a crap? I mean, at the the end of the day, like talking about everything is just exhausting, and no one wants to be exhausted listening to a podcast. So we're going to start with the Toronto Raptors, a 105-100 home victory. I was there for this. I mean, I've been at every home game since the All-Star break covering it. Um, that was a very weird game. It was a very grinder type game, which is, I feel like what the Clippers have been playing a lot of lately. A lot of their games have felt like, like grinders, almost like a postseason experience of this isn't the most beautiful basketball in the world, but it's effective because the game is close. And at the end, you trust these two guys to outplay who's ever on the other team. And the Toronto game, the biggest takeaway is that Patrick Beverly came back. Patrick Beverly came back. He played 15 minutes. He had eight points, three assists. We're not going to go into how he looked in that game specifically, but Beverly played six of the final seven regular season games for the Clippers. The only game he did not play was the second uh, to last game of the season. The penultimate game he missed because it was the second night of a back-to-back. And if you had a pulse on the Clippers, you got rest that night. So, you know, congratulations to you. Beverly was one of the people who had a living, breathing heartbeat, so he didn't play. He ends up playing six of the last seven. He looks fine. I didn't think he looked great, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. As long as he's on the floor and contributing on either end and preferably both ends at the same time, as long as he's healthy, that's all that matters. And for the Clippers to get him back on the floor, I think is a very big step in the right direction for the team going into the playoffs. Yes, uh, 100% there, Justin. And you always hear it from... The players, I think notably PG will always say it post game or, you know, uh, maybe like on the sideline interviews after, right after the game ends. But he always says how much they missed his energy and how much they missed his his passion out there. It's kind of something the team lacks and something like a, like a small little thing that I've noticed with Pat is something they also just don't have when he's when he's out of the lineup is when the ball is swung to him, whether it's on the perimeter at the whether whether it's at the top of the arc or in the corners he have you noticed he always is like already in motion like darting to the rim as he catches the ball so it's like so the one thing i like with him and i don't mean to cut you off there's no stagnation yeah. yeah like when the ball's going to him i know he's shooting it right away or he's driving like those are the only two things like there's some action. It's not, OK, the ball's with me. I'm going to dribble, 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 try to figure out what's happening. No, it's the ball. I am getting the ball. I'm making an action. It, it's wild because as soon as the ball touches his hands, he he's already stepped around the defender. So I think that throws people off guard a little bit more so than Reggie Jackson catching, shooting or catching and dribbling and creating. So it's uh, it, it's interesting to see Pat out there. I, I just like, you know, from the Clippers perspective, it would have been nice to see him come back earlier. I, I know it was impossible because of the hand injury and stuff, but and really he came back quicker than expected. But it would have been nice to see more than what six of the last seven games. Yeah, I mean, he only shot 25 percent from three uh, over these final six games, 36.7 percent from the field. I'm just going to say this right now. Those do not matter. His track record for the season is a lot longer. But on the flip side, maybe it matters just a teeny weeny bit because of his hand injury. Maybe that's affecting his shot. Uh, The the left hand for him is his guide hand. So maybe that is affecting him. I don't know. But I don't read these numbers and start worrying about what he might do offensively because Beverly's impact is on the glass. And defensively more than anything, and the occasional ability to knock down a three. Like I'm not I'm I don't expect if Patrick Beverly's taken six threes in a playoff game, I'm a little bit worried, but that might be required of him. And when I look at it, 
Beverly with the, I guess the, the rest of the four guys on the starting group now, which are George Leonard, uh, Morris and Zubas, by the way, George Leonard sounds like someone who I went to school <laughs> with. I don't know, but sounds um, like the, it's like the main character of a sitcom. Yeah. Like, like, like a Beatles spinoff movie or something. George <laughs> Leonard, like, you know, um, anyways, um, with Beverly, I'm, I look at him as a very comfortable piece next to those four. Reggie Jackson has been incredible. There is literally no disputing that he is one of the few players on the team who has literally saved their season because of his play. Nicholas Batum is another. Avica Zubats, because of the fact he's been there every day, is another one. But you end up looking at these things and you start to realize Beverly is a consistent cog in the machine and you need those sorts of guys. Yeah, and also like the the continuity from last year. Uh, I know Pat... He was in and out of the lineup as well last year, you know, similar to how he was this season. But it's uh, it's someone that Kawhi and PG are familiar with and Zubats is familiar with from even a season prior to that. So, yeah, I do think it helps a lot. And he I'm telling you, man, like it's just a spark plug for the team. And you can come up with all these different, you know, uh, buzzwords or adjectives to describe what he provides. But it's really unlike anything else. I mean, they don't have anyone like him. They have a lot of guys they can shoot a lot of guys that are similar to like a Reggie Jackson, but they just don't have anyone like Pat Bev. I mean, yeah, like you look at Pat three and D point guard, the prototypical triangle offense point guard, so to speak. And I think that's kind of why Ty likes him in a system that does run a little bit of triangle action. Yeah. That you, so, you know, kind of fits into that Derek Fisher mold. Uh, although like Pat's just a way better defender, but that kind of same, role where he can knock down open threes at at any point of the game and he's really like you know pat for for his reputation to be what it is like the dude is a 40 plus percent three-point shooter over his last what five six years i mean that's that's ridiculous one of the craziest things is so last season uh beverly george leonard morris zubats only played 11 games but played 147 minutes they were plus 22.9 in net rating. This year, they only logged eight games together, but it became 56 minutes, and they were plus 20.8. I will say this. As great as that lineup is, I think Pat is not closing games in the postseason. and Or maybe it's a matchup, you know, by, matchup by matchup basis. But I do find it interesting that Ty is comfortable with him back in the starting lineup. And the biggest reason is simply... Because Reggie Jackson fits so much better next to Rondo than Beverly did. Yeah. And I'll have to eat crow, I guess, if Pat Bev is not closing games for them. Because I thought all along, even after the trade, even after all the roster changes, I thought he was still going to be the closer out there. Hey, he's, he might still be if he <laughs> if he's shooting, you know, flamethrower out there. But um, I, I do I do see how they would either go with Reggie or Rondo in those moments. Have you actually looked at like the Reggie Rondo stuff? Because like it's I know I've referenced it several times, but like, have yeah, you actually like looked at it? It's bizarre. You should definitely go through it again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the weirdest things because I guess it's not that weird. Like you're putting a second side creator and catch and shoot savant next to Rajon Rondo, who will find those guys. But Jackson and Rondo together on the floor, 145 minutes plus 17.3 which is fantastic. That's not the number that stands out. Not at all. Defensive rating, 92.8. I don't know. I don't know. I've looked at this. I don't get it. If Kawhi Leonard's on the floor, 82.8. If Marcus Morris is on the floor, 91.8. Zoo's on the floor, 68.3. Batum's on the floor, 95.9. These numbers, these numbers are absolutely staggering. And... I will touch. I don't mean to cut you off, but I will touch on this. That's actually why I'm very comfortable with this Clippers team this postseason compared to last postseason. Last postseason, they had to rely on Lou Williams, which is fine. Lou's a very good player. I'm not here to like crap on Lou or rain on Lou's parade as a Clipper at all. Rondo and Reggie together flows so much more like progressively than Lou and Reggie would. And Rondo's ability to play with Reggie and play with Batum and play with Ibaka off the bench 
opens up a lot of things that this team did not have last season. This isn't hating on Lou. This isn't hating on Trez or anybody else they shipped off or Jamichael, whatever. It's simply looking at it apples to apples, which is this bench unit against that bench unit. This bench unit, while the overall talent might not be up to the same level, possibly, when you look at just scoring or anything like that, as a cohesive five-man or four-man unit alongside one of the main stars, this lineup, to me, is leaps and bounds better than last postseasons. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through June 30th terms and conditions apply. I, I totally get that. Totally agree. And by the way, we could never hate on, on J Mike. I mean, that dude, it, unhateable. It, the professional. Dude is like professional. Awesome. Um, I was going to ask, it's like when it comes to Rondo, you said the most remarkable number with him and the Reggie lineups or him, Reggie, Kawhi, Batum, you know, whatever the case is, is the defensive ratings and how, you you wouldn't think Rondo with another guard that's not known to be a good defender and Reggie would have these absurd, insane defensive numbers. But do you think it? Do you think the reason or part of the reason is that Rondo is what? What is he? A, a thirteen year vet, something like that? Fourteen year, maybe maybe he, longer than that. He's probably my entire life. He's he spent in the NBA. So <laughs> the, you know. the the fact the fact that he is able to know when to gamble, when to uh, disrupt the passing lanes, when to leave his man to, to hard double or or shade or or supply help or dig down into the post. Um, I feel like he does a lot of chaotic things out there with those, yeah. especially if he has Kawhi with him, he has real estate. To, he has room to do all that. So Rondo is chaos and chaos is fine. But that's also why Rondo and Pat uh, Pat Bev didn't work together. You can't have two chaos guys not on the floor at the same time. It'll completely screw you. Your back end rotation suck at that point. Yeah, so that's what I think killed uh, Rondo and and Bev together. But Rondo and Reggie, and yes, Reggie will be hunted on defensive possessions. That's fine. That's postseason basketball. But I promise you this. Ty is not going to let Reggie get isolated time and time and time and time again as a series slowly wanes away. And I understand we've gotten far off track of like talking about the seven games, but you can't talk about Pat Bev's return without talking about the dominoes that fall along the way of Beverly returns. Now he's the starter again. Reggie's yeah. back on the bench. Well, now Reggie gets to play with Rondo. These are the like, like everything is connected. They're all intertwined. You have to talk about them. Same way we have to talk about the fact that Serge Ibaka returned on the second night of a back to back against Houston that the Clippers lost, and then he played the the last game of the season against Oklahoma City. I understand we're glossing over the Lakers get the Lakers win, the Knicks lost, the Raptors the second Raptors win, the, the Hornets win, etc. I understand, but we're talking about these seven games and what it can mean going forward because that's more important than what the wins and losses ultimately mattered uh in terms of like standings and, and seating which we will get into i promise you but that's just how i view it i don't know if if i'm alone on that 
Yeah, I, I do view that. And by the way, like I, I think we're not alone. Ty would also say, "Let's forget about that Lakers game" because he was not that, not very happy about the turnovers in that game. Angry, so, angriest man, angriest man in NBA history after a twenty-four point win because that man talked yeah. about how the team didn't quote respect the game after they beat another team by twenty-four points. By the way, like I've said, by the way, too many times, I feel like that's a staple on this podcast. BT dubs. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Speaking of respect the game, like Rondo has been phenomenal with the Clippers. I'm going to preface this with that. But can we talk about that absurd off the backboard pass? No, we cannot talk about the bounce pass <laughs> off the backboard of Terrence Mann that never landed within 20 feet of him. We are not going to talk about that because that was in a game where he heat checked a pass. He was having an amazing passing game. I just decided to heat check a pass. I've never seen that in the history of the NBA. He I've literally, guys, oh my God. It was he incredible. literally thought Terrence Mann was in Space Jam 3 or something. Like, it was it was the greatest pass made in the history of man because <laughs> I'm telling I'm I'm when he went for it, I literally had to watch it go, no, no, I wish, he didn't. I wish we would have seen Ty's face in the moment. I really wish. Don't you remember? He called the timeout right after. I don't. <laughs> yeah. He, so Rondo makes the pass. It's a turnover. So like Rondo makes the bounce pass off the backboard. Man can't get to it because no one in the history of the world could have <laughs> got to that. It comes out. It's a turnover. Uh, they come down. They score. Ty takes a timeout and they were up by like 18 and Ty took a timeout because he was pissed. Yeah. So, you know, I guess to your original point about this whole thing, like the last seven or eight, maybe 10 games have been really high in turnover percentage. And that has kind of pissed off a lot of the coaching, a lot, a lot of the coaching staff because of that, that's not how they should be playing offensively. And what, you know, Ty always says like, we're too good offensively. If we're scoring 116.7 points per 100 possessions, like you are too good to be given away those possessions. So that is the one negative of the last seven or so games that we're talking about here. And I think that's where you can group together that Lakers game, the Knicks game. Um, I guess those two primarily. The Knicks game was just really weird because it was that afternoon tip and Derrick Rose decided to turn into Michael Jordan. Uh, it, it was it was remarkable to see that, I guess. That was I, – I was there for that. I, I still don't know what the hell I watched. <laughs> I, I, I don't – like Julius Randle was not good. And the yeah. Clippers just, just like like people are going to look at what he did down the stretch, which that's fine. But he was not good, and the Clippers just like they kept losing Reggie Bullock, they kept losing uh, Derrick Rose behind the arc, which Derrick Rose has been a really good three point shooter this season. You can't just lose him. But you know, I mean, going back to the turnovers, you look at their last eight games in the month of May, the Clippers were twenty fifth in turnover rate. And they were dead last going into the final game of the regular season because they only turned the ball over three times against Oklahoma City. But there was a study that was or not study that was done. It was posted on Twitter uh, on Tuesday. Uh, A guy was able to correlate turnover rate with offensive rating. So the lower your turnover rate was, the higher your offensive rating. And it seems like a no brainer. Like you look at Brooklyn, Brooklyn, the highest offensive rating the season, highest in the history of the NBA. They were 12th in turnover rate. Portland mm-hmm. had the second highest turnover or second highest offensive rating, lowest turnover rate. Clippers had the third highest offensive rating. They were 14th in turnover rate, but they were a lot higher prior to the final eight games of the season. So like you start going through these things and you start to realize the less you turn the ball over, the higher your offensive rating because you're not just giving away possessions. The more possessions you have to actually shoot the ball at the hoop. Hey, you might actually score. Isn't that wonderful how basketball can work sometimes? And the Clippers, I feel like, get particularly lazy whenever they have a 15-point lead or something. And they Yes. No, they haven't they haven't blown leads a lot this year. It's been it's been few and far between. It, it hasn't been that uh that frequent. I mean, the, uh, people are going to point to that Suns game where they were up like 30 something <laughs> and eventually Phoenix came down and I think tied it or or uh, cut it, it the it was, yeah, so PG, that's the game in Phoenix where PG finds yeah. Nick uh, Batum in the corner. So there hasn't been there haven't been that many instances like that all season, but they do kind of get a little bit sloppy when they're up by 15 plus. Yeah, like they 
they start to coast, which is like every team does it. Like we need yeah. to not just harp on the Clippers doing like every team does it. You get to 15, 20 and you're just kind of like, eh, we can kind of pack this up and get through this. And that's not how this area of the NBA is working anymore. Um, so Serge comes back. He plays the game second night of a back to back at Houston. You know, everyone else is pretty much resting. Serge plays 17 minutes, scores 15 points. Final game of the regular season against Oklahoma City. He plays 19 minutes, scores 12 points, has seven rebounds, two assists. I will say this, and this is before we talk about what he really was dealing with, because he told us what he was dealing with. Serge Ibaka, the final two games of the regular season. Yes, I understand it was Houston. Yes, I understand it was Oklahoma City. I really don't care. Those final two games of the regular season were the best movement I've seen, movement and mobility I've seen out of Serge Ibaka all season. Hands down, because if I even put on tape of the beginning of the season of him against the Lakers and him against Denver, he was not moving like this. This was a different level of movement out of him. Yeah, a lot of the early season success for Serge, where he, you know, he looked like he was a real difference maker. That wasn't necessarily his movement or what he was doing. It was what he was providing with the spacing. I always thought the spacing he provided was going to outweigh his raw numbers like i mean he could put up he could put up eight or eight or nine points and but his impact would be that of of him scoring 20 because he would just be that five out center that they needed in certain moments so i think them getting off to such a strong start like they did because you know correct me if i'm wrong but i still if you kind of go if you lower the minutes requirement isn't pat pg Kawhi, uh batum and ibaka still like the best lineup <laughs> in the league one of the best so it's it's one of the best like if you actually just look at it um beverly george leonard batum abaka was plus 16.7 in 264 minutes and that's a great lineup um the other one is is reggie pg Kawhi batum abaka was plus 33 in 78 minutes (laughs) that was primarily driven by one of the greatest offensive ratings I've ever seen a f- five man lineup produce, which was 138. That's like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to compare that to. That's absurd. Uh, um, just who gives a crap? That's, that's insane. That's like, that that's like Randy Johnson in his second life, apparently. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it comes full circle. It comes full circle. But, you know, I, I was just, I, I was just going to say, like, the, with the surge stuff, like, he, he is moving a lot better and you can tell that that the month or two months off has really done him wonders. And I, I still believe him. I believe in the early season part, December and January part of the season, he was producing well. He was efficient in all areas, it felt like. But but I, th- I think now it's more like, OK, he he's able to flow with the offense better. Yeah, I think this better suits him. Um you don't need him to play 24 to 28 minutes. I mean, he can absolutely do that depending on matchups, depending on zoos, foul trouble, you know, what have you. Um, the biggest takeaway I had though, was the way he moved. If you remember the beginning of the season, when he would try to close out on the perimeter, he was completely upright. He yeah. gave some of the worst effort I've ever seen. And then we found out why that is. Uh, Sergi Baca post game after he, uh, the game that he returned against the Houston Rockets on the road, divulged to everybody that was in the media call post game that he has a syndrome. I don't know the name of the syndrome. He said it. I couldn't hear it because of the audio, but he says he has a syndrome where his muscles and his, basically his lower back uh, pinch his nerve, which can cause his legs to get somewhat numb and to cause tremendous back pain and he played with it in the beginning of the season and he thought he could manage it because he didn't want the team he didn't want to let the team down ultimately became too much for him to deal with and he had to sit down uh, after the first quarter against the pelicans game against the pelicans on the road on march 14th so that's why serge missed exactly two months of basketball he was he left the game on March 14th came back the game on May 5th, May 14th misses exactly two months. You come to find out it's not lower back tightness as we have been told for two months, because let's be honest, we knew that was a sham. If your lower back is tightened for two months, you might not actually exist as a person in this world anymore. But Sergi Baca divulged to us that he had a nerve condition, a pinched nerve, essentially. Um, he's costly getting work on it. As you 
all are aware, J.J. Reddick dealt with similar back issues. So this isn't anything, you know, that the Clippers haven't seen before as a fan base. But I will say the fact that he came back is a good sign. I also started to think they really didn't care if he came back until the final two games. That's how I really felt. I think if they felt they needed him before that, they I think he would have came back. But he comes back the final two games against low energy opponents. Like these are not teams that are like you don't have to go full bore against them. Even if if you're trying to win games or lose games, it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to go full bore. So he's able to get his conditioning in. And that's what the final game of the regular season was for him. He plays 19 minutes. It's the most he's played since March 11th. Um they need him to get conditioned for the postseason. And those two games, the five days they're having off before coming back for game one on Saturday, I think his conditioning will be there. Yeah, it should be. And it's it's fascinating, like looking down the line if you want to do that. I mean, it's like Serge has only played once against Phoenix, I think, once against the Lakers. Uh, I think maybe all three against Utah. Um Unless he missed one, but I'm, no, he played all three against Utah. You're yeah. correct. So it's like, man, like we we just haven't seen him against like this this you know top competition. And how many against Dallas? One, two, one. Yeah, he one. played the he he played the fifty one point uh, beating. Yes, yeah, so uh, his, uh, his the first official game he missed was the second game against Dallas, and they played two nights later. So yeah, it's uh, so we have a lot to learn, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, we literally do not know what surge we're getting. I mean, it's it's really that simple. At the end of the day, we don't know the surge that we're getting, but the steps that the Clippers took, especially in those last two games, and especially in the finale against Oklahoma City in a loss, I liked how they used him. We got a glimpse of what his role is as a bench contributor which is I'm going to space the floor. Rondo's going to find me with behind the back passes when I pop off of screens. And that's pretty much it. I'm going to attack closeouts if they try to do it. And I'm going to find someone in the corner if that's the case. If they don't close out uh, hard enough, I'm taking the three. And here's the thing. I don't care if Serge Ibaka misses those threes. As weird as that sounds, I don't care. I want him to take them. I would rather a guy take that shot wide open than pass it up and you end up getting a worse shot technically so i'm yeah. fine with that um now let's talk into the big elephant in the room or you know if you listen to the insta twit as ty Lu has said <laughs> so the clippers are getting grief because they rested their main guys for the final two games cool here's what i'm gonna say about that who gives a crap who cares honestly if you care that much about it you don't actually care I just don't think you care. I just think you want to be mad about something because a team you don't mm-hmm. like did something to prioritize their own health. Ty Lue said it on Tuesday. They chose health over over anything else. And that's pretty much been his mantra for the last several years, especially when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they sit everyone of note, really, in the Houston game, except for Serge and Rondo. They then uh, and Batum. They then sit everyone worth of note. uh in the Oklahoma city game on the final game of the re- final day of the regular season, except for Beverly and surge so that they can get their conditioning up. Um, if people have a problem with that, I really don't care. Uh, yeah. Th- this if is they, <laughs> If they have, if people have a problem with what they did to such a degree that they are l- literally and or figuratively crying on social media and, and posting four tweet long threads about why they're pissed off about it. I dare them or I encourage them to go through every season log in NBA history, find the top or one of the top contenders in each conference and go through and get, and get mad, you know, get, get angry and pissed off about those teams doing it as well. Because I, I don't know how you can, and this is the real elephant in the room is I don't know how you can, automatically say that the Clippers did this because they wanted to get out of the Lakers bracket, which is the only reason the people out there are mad. I don't think they're mad about the resting. They're not mad that they intentionally tried to do that. It's, it's more so they're mad because of something they think is true, despite never 
asking a, a person with the team, despite never being on any of the calls. It's just like they they, they want to infer the reasoning behind it when it it probably was not that. So April 14th at Detroit, the second night of a back-to-back, Clippers rest a ton of people. They ended up winning that game. No one cared. Uh, April 21st, second night of a back-to-back at home against Memphis. They're down by 18 in the first quarter. Clippers rested a bunch of people. They won. No one cared. Um, The next back-to-back, by the way, after that game against Memphis was the Houston Rockets game that they rested everybody. For the love of God, who really cares? Just so who yeah. really cares? Yeah, and and I'll I'll explain on that one. Like, if, all right, let's just say they lose the Detroit game, the one where Reggie Jackson comes through like he's just uh, Isaiah Thomas or something, you know, in, in Detroit. Um, I think would people would would people not agree that one loss on April fourteenth is the same as one loss on May fourteenth? Like, it's it's it all comes out to be the same thing. And they end up, like you said, to your your point, they won a lot of games this year where guys were either resting or unable to play because of health and safety where Kawhi and PG didn't play in January and they still won a couple games. So it's like, I think... Oh, by the way, the the, the Spurs game, the second night of a back-to-back Spurs game. Yes, the game they had no business winning. I mean, that, you know, Spurs had every reason to to get that game. To be fair, PG plays that game, but Morris is out, Ibaka's out, Kawhi's out. You know, like pretty much everyone besides PG gets a rest. And here's the real hang up that's been like really, I guess, annoying me is like people pointed to Avica Zubats like, oh, he only played three. Like, he, for instance, uh, the, the, the game against Houston. Oh, he only played, you know, like three minutes. Well, yeah, because Ty's been trying to rest him all season and Zoo refuses. And the one game that Zoo got, got a little or not a little bit, got a ton of rest in. Like th- that game against Houston where he gets a ton of rest is because Zoo w- wanted to take a three. Ty lets him take the three, calls the second play of the, g- of the game for him, step slash, calls it for him. Zoo steps back, hits the three, boom. He comes out of the game, and guess who came in? Serge Ibaka, who had his first game back in forever. So that was part of why Zubas was able to get some rest. The last night of the regular season against Oklahoma City, people are throwing their hands in the air like Zubas didn't jump for the jump ball and then he intentionally fouled and he only played six seconds, not respecting the game. Here's the thing. This has happened before. Tristan Thompson did it. For the Cleveland Cavaliers. Final home game, final regular season uh, game of, of the year, I want to say in like 2016. Does it for the Cavaliers. Do you know who his head coach was that night? Ty Lue. Played four <laughs> seconds. Who gives a shit? Who really I'm curious, cares? Justin, I'm curious how what what made you find that out or what made you realize that Tristan did that? That's that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> so I was actually curious to find out the last guy to play uh like under a minute basically in a start like that was that didn't a get injured or b like like you know what i mean like something weird yeah and so, your eyes lit up whenever you saw tristan thompson in cleveland <laughs> well i went on stathead uh this is a ad for stathead now i went on stathead and i typed in a uh, minute requirement one minute equal to or less than and I started going down and I'm noticing some names. I'm like, all right, that's a little weird. Like, okay, this guy. And then I Googled, like, why did so-and-so come out? Like, for instance, Giannis this year played a game of like 48 seconds. Well, he got hurt in that game. Yeah. So that's why he that's why he came out. Then I look down, I see Tristan Thompson, and I look at the date and it says like April whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, well, this is like towards the end of the regular season. Why did he play less than a minute? I click it. I see four seconds. Well, that's odd. Literally Googled <laughs> Tristan Thompson and the game date found an article where he where it says that he got subbed out after four seconds and an intentional foul so that he can keep his consecutive games played streak looked at that cleveland cavaliers team they made the nba finals head coach was ty Lue, and i just went you know what who gives a shit exactly i like, mean I just, zubats all right for anyone that's watched the clippers zubats has been the most consistent the most like uh, the most stand-up guy. Like he has played every game that you know. He technically has played every game. He um, he he's always been dominant on defense. Like this guy has produced so much that it's that it's ridiculous. And and really like for Nick Batum to be the the minutes leader for the team is is wild. But you would kind of feel like Zubats would be up there as well. Or, or I would say if Zub played every game, then Zub would be number one. So that was kind of surprising. But uh, this dude needed some rest. That's what I'm trying to say. Like. He deserves some rest, 
And if he wants to keep his streak alive, then, you know, to kind of be like DeAndre Jordan, then let him do it. Yeah, I really have no problem with it. Um, For people who are bemoaning the fact that the Clippers, quote unquote, tank their final two games. Here's a stat. The 2016-17 Cleveland Cavaliers were 51-29 and entering the final two games of the regular season. They were tied for the one seed and actually owned the one seed at the time due to a tiebreaker against the Boston Celtics. The first game of the final two games was the second night of a back-to-back. The second game was a home game against the Toronto Raptors. Like I said, the Cavaliers were tied for the best record with Boston but had the tiebreaker. And then tanked out of the one seed by sitting LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love both games. So when Ty Lue explicitly states, this is something I did in Cleveland because I prioritized health, I would believe the man because upon further review, he did it and he's not a liar. Do you want right, now? Do you want another interesting fact about that team? Now we're talking about the 2016-17 Cavs, right? Correct. So they tanked themselves out of the one seed and gave the one I'm seed sorry, to I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They lost the NBA Finals that year. They didn't win it, but go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. They tanked themselves out of the one seed and gave it to Boston, correct? Correct. In game two of the Eastern Conference Finals, they beat the Celtics in Boston by 44, and they were up by like 50 at halftime. So they do not care about the seedings. I think Ty Lue has never cared about the seedings, and that is true to this day with the LA Clippers. Yeah, I just don't think he... Just so we're aware here, on April 5th, 2017, they beat the Boston Celtics to win the tiebreaker, three games to one. They lost their next two games against the Atlanta Hawks, still on the tiebreaker, still were the one seed, and then just didn't play people worth a shit in the final two games. I'm sorry. You can't give me to... Like, you can't make me care about this. I know that sounds a little bit hypocritical as I've ranted for like 20 minutes about how this doesn't mean anything. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's my podcast. Who gives a damn? Um, I just I can't find a reason for people to give a crap. I really can't. It's not that serious. In a season where they played 72 games in 145 days, are we really giving teams a crap for sitting guys at the end? I guess they really I guess they really just. Go ahead. I'm just mad. Go ahead. I guess they really just wanted Kawhi PG and Zoo to go out there and play 35 minutes against uh, uh, against a, a team that was clearly trying to lose games in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I I don't understand what they wanted the Clippers to do. I really don't. Like, should they go out there and have just hammered the the Thunder? Cool. All right. Well, you beat the Thunder. Well, now that game, like, oh, that doesn't tell us anything. Okay, who gives a crap? They couldn't have known that that Dallas was going <laughs> to roll over for Minnesota. Yeah, talk, talk about that for a minute, like how the how yeah, I, everything I, was just out of, out of their control. Yeah, by the time it got to the Clippers game, the only thing that was in control for them was whether or not they won. Which I mean, you're in control of whether or not you win every game. That's you know how sports work. But they weren't in control of what the Nuggets did, where the Nuggets rolled over in the first quarter to Portland. They weren't in control of Dallas rolling over early and all game to Minnesota. I don't know like what people wanted the Clippers to do. I really don't. I really don't like what play that game through, win the game. And now you're the three seed. Okay. Well now you get to play Portland. So who cares? And I think think it's, I think we should also point out like the, the Clippers internally. Now we don't know this. You and I don't know this, but I'm, I think we have a pretty good understanding. They probably wanted to play Portland, so it would behoove them to win that game. But it's like I, it, they, they kind of just wanted to, to get a rest day, and that's all That's all we have to say about it. Like they just wanted to get another rest day, and Ty Lue said it today or yesterday, I guess, whenever you listen to this podcast, and, and at the practice session media availability, he says, like, we finally man. got finally <laughs> got everyone healthy, and that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, look, they go into this postseason a lot better than they did last postseason. You know, even break withstanding, like you take the break out of it, they're still going in better. They they have everyone available to play. That's nice. That's not a that's not a slide against Trez or a slide against Lou or anybody. Like it's just it's just a fact. Like not everyone was ready to play because of circumstances outside some of their control. There were deaths in the family, and and, and that that happens. I think Pat but, also left, left the bubble. Yeah, he did for, for a funeral. Um, 
literally there were three funerals that three guys left for like you literally could not make that up um it is what it is and look they go four and three over the last seven they're the four seed they're playing the five seed, which is dallas dallas went two and one against them the next podcast you hear from us which will be out on thursday will be about the season the series preview against the dallas mavericks but for now the clippers are the four seed they get a home playoff game or home playoff series to start We'll see what happens from there. We'll see who Utah has to play as the eight seed because they're in the Clippers bracket. But as of right now, who the hell knows? And honestly, I'm glad the Clippers kind of rested towards the end of the season because we got to see 40 minutes of sweet, sweet Jay Scrub. <laughs> Dude, Jay, Jay Scrub is not only a Louisville legend. Jay Scrub is... Uh, I'd be curious to see what his per 36 minutes in terms of shot attempts are. So he's going to be a, yes. a scoring legend it's, soon enough. It's just a yes. It, like you look it up, it says, yes, took shots. <laughs> per 36 minutes, 15.4 field goal attempts. God, that feels low. <laughs> yeah. he, he he scored 35 points on 36 shots. And to be honest with you, I actually liked his, his jumper. I think his jumper looks solid. Yeah, you can tell he, uh, I mean, he's had a lot of time working with player development, so. Yeah, by the way, pour one out for Daniel Oturu. I do not want to crap on him. I'm just going to give a stat. Daniel Oturu played 37 minutes in the season finale. Uh, He was 5 of 21. Sounds awful. It was worse. He got blocked eight times, which is the most a player has been blocked in a game this season. The previous record holder for this season was seven, which was done twice by Zion Williamson. So clearly this means Daniel Oturu is the next Zion Williamson, and I will not hear anything to the contrary. Three turnovers for them, though, in that season finale. That was kind of wild, huh? Yeah, three turnovers and, like, what, 100 possessions. That's uh, and Plus, whenever you're going, whenever you're just, like, passing around from, from Jay Scrub to Oturo to, uh, to all these guys, I mean, Baca even driving down the lane, you would think they have more than three turnovers, so. I just want to touch on something real quick. Terrence Mann took a real leap this season, and yeah, I, I, th- I think – this is how we'll end this particular podcast. Um, I think this season was a win for the Clippers, even if they don't win the title, because the leap that Terrence took is very real as a shooter, as a slasher, as a passer, as a rebounder, solid defender, their most athletic guy on the floor for a vast majority of the season. Um, the leap that he took is real and it's tangible and it matters. Um, I think that is something the team win or lose a title can be very proud of. And I'm very excited for what he could be and what he might be able to do next season. Cause those are real things. Those are real leaps by a player. And for a second year guy, a second round pick, um, we literally cannot talk about this enough. The, the gigantic, grand canyon size leap that he took um i'm very interested to see him next season and i'm just proud of the work that he put in i'm proud of the work that he did with sean fine and proud of the work that he did with kenny atkinson but more important i'm just proud of the work he did himself he did it himself yes those player development guys helped him this was on him and some of the credit goes to ty Lu for just flat out saying you don't need to be a point guard you could just be a player because he has become ty Lu's swiss army knife we've seen him as a small ball five we've seen him as a wing we've seen him as a guard we've seen him do these all sorts of machinations and things but at the end of the day this is a young guy who took a very good leap 24 years old i understand he came in a little bit old but he took a very good leap he played an important role he was seven missed free throws shy of being 50 40 90 and i don't think that is anything to like sneeze at so terrence man hats off to you man you played an amazing year um this it's honestly incredible when you look at it and realize he played the seventh most minutes on the Clippers. Luke Kennard played the eighth most. They both played over 300 minutes or, or just about 300 minutes more than Serge Ibaka did. Uh, they played 500 minutes, 400 minutes more than Patrick Beverly did. So for the leap that man took, it was very real. And I, I, I think it matters. And for the Clippers, win or lose, they have to be damn proud of how he played night in and night out. He might not play much in the postseason. That does not 
shine a light onto what he can or can't do. There's just other guys who fit roles better or, you know, more, re- more reliable, more, you know, into certain matchups. But Terrence really did deliver the goods probably a lot more than, a, than several of the guys on the team did on a nightly basis. So hats off to him. Yeah. And I was just going to say, like, you never know, like you, you never know. He probably doesn't get 900 more minutes than he did last year. If, if it's under the same coaching staff, under the same roster construction. So everything changing around him allowed for him to get those 900 extra minutes that he got this year. Uh, that's a, that's just a monumental leap. You, you really never see that. I mean, how often do you see a rookie get, you know, 360 minutes and then go over 1200. It's, it's crazy. And I think it also helps that he's 24 and it's not the situation where he's still 20 as a sophomore. I think the fact that he's mature as a player and he's been around for a few more years, I think that's helped him a lot. Uh, probably mentality wise a little, yeah. in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, Shane, where can people find you, find your work? Because you do excellent stuff, and I'm a little bit sad we're not going to be taking a drive to Phoenix for the second round potentially. <laughs> um, so. I, man, don't even don't even mention that. That that still angers me. The the seedings didn't work out that way. Yeah, Phoenix, if anybody should be mad at the Clippers, <laughs> it should be us. Yes, like, Phoenix would have been the best trip. I'm so annoyed. Like seriously, everyone is mad at them for like, oh, they yeah. take to avoid blah blah blah. I'm pissed because I wanted to go to Phoenix. And Granted. It would have I'm, been 165 uh, degrees, but I'm still. not going to Salt Lake City. <laughs> hey, man, not, don't, don't, do not turn into LeBron on this podcast and start crapping on Salt Lake City. Um, okay, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's a beautiful place. I've driven through yeah. Utah. It was nice to drive through. That's Gosh. about all I'll say about Utah. <laughs> but you, people can find me at Twitter. You can yell at me. You can uh, argue with me about anything you want at Young MBA and at Forbes, just obviously um, my writing's there. So I'm a little bit behind the eight ball. I'm, I got my all NBA teams done, but I had to make one change to the 13. So I had to go through and change a lot of stuff. So um, Ooh, what that, was the change? The change was I, I had Zion on there, but don't spoil I, it. Why would you try to spoil it? You don't, you gotta let the, you gotta sucker these people in. Well, Hey, you, you just, <laughs> You shouldn't ask me that question then. See, you should have told me to shut the hell up and just click the article. I would have just been like, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, well good thing that I didn't reveal who I put on there. So, uh, yeah, check exactly. those out tomorrow. It's all right. I'm just glad that you put Patrick Patterson on there. Good job. Absolutely. Just add <laughs> water. That's right. Stay ready, baby. All right, Shane. We we will be back, guys, uh, tomorrow for a series preview i guess of sorts of the series against the dallas mavericks in the first round which feels a little bit like deja vu it is a rematch which means are we going to see revenge or repeat tune in Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.